Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for drawing us here around your word today and in the, in the midst of all the chaos around us, Lord, the, the such different circumstances we've never would have experienced in our lifetime, God. We know you're faithful that you are constant. And so, God, if you open your word, it never changes, but it lives, Lord, and it changes our lives as well. So, God, remove all distractions, we ask in the name of Jesus, that you would fill us with what you want us to hear and dwell upon. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, it's so good to be with you today. This is week two, if you're just catching up with us, on a series simply called Questions. And what we're doing, our goal, is to be able to answer as many questions that you bring to us. We're doing some of these in sermon series, but the majority of them, what we're doing is we're taking those questions in as pastors, and we're dissecting them, seeing which ones to answer in what order, and we're making videos. We made three this week. I think one or a couple of them are actually online already, and we're going to be putting those on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. You can follow along, and the questions that you put in, we'll answer to the best of our abilities. I got to tell you, the Bible doesn't answer everything. There's a lot of things that we'll be like, I want to know this, but you got to wait till you get to heaven, because once you're there, God's going to probably reveal a lot of things and we just can't handle or understand right now, and we move by faith right now. We just have to say, God, don't understand it, but I trust you. But there are some questions that's very important that we do focus upon, and we can kind of jump into those because the Bible talks about those. So if you want to follow us uh, today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 13, uh, the first few verses that Joel just read right there uh, in your Bibles. If you have the YouVersion app, I encourage you to uh, open that and basically look on events, do St. John Mansfield, and there you'll have the whole sermon with the answers already in there, and you can take notes. Well, how's it going for you? How's your house? How's your family? Is it crazy yet? Are you ready to just run sometimes? You know, my wife and I, we're doing the best we can to try to, to honor the social distancing order. You know, like I'll go to the grocery store, just one of us, and I'll go and, and put on the mask and the gloves. And yeah, I know whether you should wear gloves or not, I'm doing it. And then basically take them off like you're supposed to, go home and everything. But even at home, you know, we, sometimes I'm noticing that, that doing all that we should, still sometimes you feel things just aren't normal. They're not right. I'll come out of the, the bedroom sometimes and I'll go to the living room, and I'll see my wife, for instance. Uh, sometimes she'll just be staring, staring through the living room window. And I'll kind of watch her, and she'll just be gazing and sometimes look a little melancholy. Her, her face will kind of just get sad. And then sometimes even a tear will, will come out. And then as I look through the window, I think to myself, should I open the door and let her in? But I'm telling you, it's important that rules are rules, and we're following the rules. Well, sometimes you can take things to the extreme. Sometimes you have questions that come to us, and they may not be that extreme, but they're very important to us. And we're starting to think, you know, okay, God, um, can you answer some of these for us? Because it's getting a little hot out here. It's getting a little hard to deal with what's going on, especially with this pandemic. We didn't expect this. I mean, who would expect him to cancel sports? This is a totally different world we're living in. The question we're going to wrestle with today is this. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? You ever wonder that? Why now? Why to this extent? Why is it happening to me? My family? I did a service a week and a half ago, a graveside service, the 
the lady was only able to take her mom in the ambulance. She rode in the ambulance, take her to the hospital, and she couldn't see her for the next couple days, and her mom passed away and went to see Jesus. Why in the world is this happening? It's a very important question. And here's the good news. Jesus may not answer it fully, but he does have some insights and some hints on how we can best sit with this question. While we may not have all the answers, we can at least wrestle with this and say, okay, what does the Bible say? What does Jesus specifically say when people during his lifetime come to him with some of the same questions? So why is this happening? We're going to start with Luke chapter 1, beginning at the first four verses. I'm going to reread those for you so that we can kind of make sure we're on the same page, and then I'm going to give you a context. So it says, at that time, some of those present told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. To this, he replied, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam collapsed on them, do you think that they were more sinful than all the others living in Jerusalem? This is a very unique text. In fact, nowhere else in the Bible, nor nowhere else outside of Scripture do we hear about these two events. So it's kind of slim pickings when you're trying to figure out how in the world do I get a background of these two events that these people that Jesus are talking about. Well, you got to stay in the text. So if we look at the context, here's what's going on. If you look at Luke chapter 12, right before, Luke mentions that Jesus is engaging with the people, and some of the people think that their life is all good and everything's under control, but they still have some questions, but he's, he re- reminds them, hey, you need, you need to actually make some amendments in your life, and part of that is repenting. And we use a phrase, he's kind of cutting too close to the corn, he's kind of making them a little nervous, and they probably want to change the subject, Right? So they're like, uh, okay, he's talking to us, and he's kind of uh, getting into places where we don't want to go inside, so we're going to maybe ask him a question and change the subject. And you get an idea that these people asking the questions, right, it says uh, some who were present asked Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with their sacrifices. The question would be, something bad happened to these people, And they seem to be good. So why in the world is this happening right now? Why did that happen to them? We want to know the reason. And their presumption is that these were good people, so something bad like this shouldn't happen. Well, here's here's probably what happened. They're probably on their way to the Passover once a year, going to Jerusalem to make a sacrifice in accordance to God's Old Testament laws to pay for their sins, to, to take the guilt away, to take the shame away, to make themselves right before God. And so as a good Jew would do, they would get themselves all cleaned up, put on their best, they would ascend to Jerusalem singing some of the Psalms of Ascent, and they would bring their sacrifice with them, either money to buy it there or to bring it with them, a sacrificial lamb. And as they got close to the temple, they would uh, bring it to the priest, and the priest would sacrifice it, the blood would be spilled, and they got to do this year after year. So one particular year they're coming, and Pilate, and you may recognize Pilate's name that is mentioned here. Pilate was actually the, the head kind of governor in that area. He was like the lead guy for Rome, and he was the one that, that actually tried Jesus during his trial right before he was handed over to be crucified, this same Pilate. So Pilate, something went down, we don't know, 
But Pilate, in conjunction with Roman soldiers, went and sacrificed and killed these people while they were, were sacrificing to the Lord. And so their blood was mixed with that of the sacrificial lambs. This is a tragedy, a travesty. This is something you never want to have happen to anybody. And so the people are wondering, well, these people were doing a good thing, Lord. They were doing what you wanted, and why did this happen to them? And Jesus responds very interestingly. He says, do you think that this happened to them because they were good or bad? No. But he moves the conversation in this direction. He says, unless, unless you repent, you likewise will perish. What's Jesus saying? We're all going to die. Unless Jesus comes back to earth before you take your last breath, you're going to die. Ooh, that's an exciting message, Pastor. <laughs> now, Jesus is saying it. You know, we're going to perish. We're going to die. So his encouragement is this. You need to repent and connect yourself with the truth that God is, that God is sharing, even in the midst of these questions. He goes on a little bit later, and he talks about this, this Tower of Siloam incident. And again, we don't have a lot of info, but we'll kind of share it right now. The best we can know is that probably this was a, a tower that was being built maybe for religious purposes. There were construction workers there while it was being built, maybe 18 of them, who knows. But what happens is uh, something very tragic. It collapses. And 18 were crushed and killed right then. And again, Jesus says, are you going to use the same logic and think, well, these people, um, they must have done something wrong, so they deserve this? Or on the other end, you know, why did this happen? Because they're good. And Jesus blows that out of the water. And he leads them to a different way of thinking. He doesn't answer to why this happened, but he kind of just sets it there and says, yeah, bad things happen. And so how do we deal with them? How do you rationalize and wrestle with and struggle with the answers of how do I deal with a pandemic that is coming at me? Even though we don't have this Tower of Siloam, we don't go to Jerusalem to sacrifice, it is amazing how similar these two stories are to our lives. In fact, if you have been alive for the last 25 years, you will have experienced two events that are very similar to this. Now think about it. Right here is the Tower of Siloam. We're going we're to pause there for a second. When, when Pilate had sacrificed uh, or killed those, had those people killed. They were murdered. That was an evil act put upon other people by a person that was doing terrible things. And then the second story Jesus brings up is a little different. It's just a, a happenstance of nature, a mistake. Maybe someone didn't, didn't engineer the building right. It wasn't an intentional where some evil person was saying, hey, I'm going to kill all these people. It just happened, a part of our broken world. And I have a couple of pictures I want to share with you to kind of bring this to life, and this may bring out, just caution you, may bring out some emotions for you. But the first one is this. Look at this. You remember? Some of you may not have been born yet, but if you were, you remember where you were that day when the 9-11 events happened. And those who look at those events, uh, whether you have loved ones that were a part of that or not, we all were affected. And the way we were affected, it was that there was evil people, people who chose to do something terrible against humanity, against other people. And here's the result. 
And the question that you might have is, why in the world is that happening? Why did that happen? Why now? Why to my family? Especially those who lost loved ones in the towers or in a field in Pennsylvania or at the Pentagon. And then something very similar to maybe the Tower of Siloam is today's pandemic, COVID-19. I mean, it is indiscriminately going after people of all colors, religions, races, ages, even young is now getting it, um, you name it. And look at this, in New York, they have so many, and, and unfortunately, people who don't have family or who are poor don't have money, they're being put in these mass graves like this on this island in New York. And the question still is, is why is this happening? Well, Jesus allows us to learn more. And how he does that is he gives us his word. And in his word, a guy named Paul, an early believer, an early missionary, he gives us some insight in the book of Romans. Listen to what he says. Here's what he teaches us. We live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. Look what it says in Romans 8, verse 20. It says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. What's he talking about there? You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the fall of everything in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve decided, our first parents, when they decided, hey, we're actually going to go against what God desires, here's what happened. A lot of things happened, but here's something important. They allowed not only themselves, but the entire world to be corrupted. And we see this, we see this, God talks about this in Genesis 3, and we see it in Romans 8. We see the idea that, that creation is in turmoil, right? We see floods, we see earthquakes, we see famines, we see all sorts of things that, that aren't originally part of God's design. And we ask ourselves, why does this happen? Because creation is in turmoil. And just a small little part of this answer then with this virus is that this is part of the broken creation we live in. in. Matthew 5, Jesus says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. I'm going to say that again. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. What Jesus is telling us is that there's no discrimination when it comes to the brokenness of our world and how it negatively affects people. Whether you're good, bad, ugly, you name it. In the end, we all have some bad tendencies. And a lot of times we like to look at ourselves, well, I'm good. And so I should get good things. Or he's bad, he deserves that, right? That's called karma. Karma, it, this is one of the, the, the side teachings that Jesus is just rallying against. Jesus is showing us how stupid the teaching of karma is. If you've ever heard of it, karma is the idea that uh, you, you get what you deserve or good comes back to you if you're, you know, you're giving good or bad for bad. And Jesus is like, no, it just, it just happens because we live in a broken world. In fact, Jesus is the pinnacle of this illustration against karma. He was the nicest, most loving man to ever live. He was God. He was perfect. He loved the people perfectly around them, continues to love you perfectly. And what they do to him? Did he get what he deserved? No. In fact, I'm grateful that this karma doesn't exist. Because what happened was Jesus went to the cross and suffered the most horrific pain imaginable for six hours on that cross so that you and I could not receive quote-unquote karma. 
so that we could actually ask the question in reverse. Why is this happening, God? I have messed up so many times in my life. I have spilled countless blood uh, figuratively by hurting people. My pride has gotten in the way. I've lied, I've cheated, I've stealed, I've done all this stuff, looked at what I shouldn't have, you name it, whatever it is for you. And often we don't ask the question, why is this good happening to me? But it is. If you are listening to this today, God has you here for a reason. And God has a, gra- a hold on your heart right now. And he's probably wanting you to wrestle with, why is this happening? Yeah, why is God so good to me? Why did Jesus, many years, many years before I was born, go to the cross specifically for me? It's because he loves you. Because he wants you to be with him for eternity. He wants you to have that hope to know that even though all this is happening, it's only temporary. And yet, it really, really hurts. You might have lost a loved one. You might be sick. You might not have a job right now. But God is still on the throne. And God is faithful. In fact, that leads us to our next point, which is so important. Question this. Who, who do I believe is in charge of this world? Who do I believe is in charge of this world? If your kids asked you that, your friends, what would you say? Is God sovereign? Is he in charge? Why why is all this happening? Why is this happening? I thought God was good. This takes us back to the garden. This takes us back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3. He gave... He gave our parents, our first parents, as he gives you and me, something called free will. He gives you the choice, as he did them, to say, I want to honor and love God. I want to choose what is best, the best life. Or I can say, you know what? I want to do it on my own. I want to listen to the evil one when the devil came to Eve and said, did God really say that? Come on now. He just knows you're going to get more knowledge that he wants to keep for himself. And she fell for it. But look what God did. He did not create us to be a robot. He did not make us love him like he's like some communist dictator. Instead, he gave us a choice. He says, I'm going to give you a choice to take from that forbidden fruit or to say, no, God, help me. I love you. I want to follow you. I want what's best. And thus, free will led to the turmoil or the corruption, if you will, of the world. And so we ask the question, though, who's in charge? Well, how does free will fit into that? Let me try to give you an illustration. The GM plant's closed right now in Arlington, but uh, we got a big GM plant around here, makes some amazing big SUVs, you name it, big cars, thousands of people working there. There is one person, one person, that is in charge of that plant, that factory in Arlington. There are thousands of people, though, who do all sorts of different parts along the way of making those vehicles outstanding. And they have control of their little area. They have control of what bolt goes where. They have control of how much paint goes there. They have a control. And sometimes the person that's in charge will have directives, of course, for the people that are in control on the cars. This is how you're supposed to do it. Well, you know as well as I do that sometimes you get a lemon. (laughs) Probably not a GM. Maybe a Ford. 
Maybe a Toyota. I'm impartial. But sometimes you get a lemon. What happened there was the person in charge didn't change how they wanted the car to be done, but sometimes the person that's in control, they made a mistake. And hopefully there's, you know, um, customer service. Maybe even before it leaves the factory floor, there's some, some backup, some check, checkpoints that they have. They're like, hey, 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 the person in charge has someone checking and says, uh, this actually didn't go in right. We need to redo this because the person in control messed up. You get what I'm saying right here? We have a lot of control, if you will, some choices we can control. I'm either going to do this or not. Sometimes you feel like I have no control. I don't control what I think sometimes. My poor brain. But you know what I mean. You have some control. You have some choices. And God, who's in charge, because he is, will allow you to have that control. It's like, hey, if you want to go off on that road, go ahead, and we're going to see what happens. We do this as parents all the time. Right? You can only tell your kids so many times, and then you've got to let them learn. And so sometimes when we ask, why is this happening? It's not, has anything to do with who's in charge. It has to do with who's controlling things right here. Sometimes we just made some bad choices. And as a result, consequences happen. Now, not everything. Sometimes it's out of our control. There's nature or other people who are acting upon us that might answer, well, this is happening because people just have made some poor choices. But in the end, the comfort comes from this. Who do I believe is in charge? And we join the psalmist in Psalm 115, verses 2 through 3, that says this. Why should the nations say, where's their God? Our God is in heaven, and he does as he pleases. You hear that, that truth, that statement right there? Is that God's in charge. And he's going to work all this out and do as he pleases. He has a will. He has an ultimate goal. I had a friend once tell me that God is like this great mathematician that can take all of these different choices we've made, and some of them totally against what his big grand will and design is. He can take all those and weave them together at the end and finally still get the outcome that he wants. And that's probably what he's doing right here. The car will still come off the assembly line, maybe edited a lot of different ways, but it's still going to look like the, the person in charge wants it to look. And that's... That's where faith comes in. Say, I don't understand how all this is happening. I have no earthly way how financially we're going to make it. But God is in charge. Jesus is still on his throne. And I believe that. Now, another reason why this may be happening is answered in the book of James. And here's, here's, the, here's the, the line that goes with that. God may be using this to increase your faith and refine you. And refine you. God may be using this time, this very unique time, to increase your faith and refine you. If you're checking us out for the first time today and you are, you're not even following Jesus yet, let alone believing in him, you're like, I don't know about this. God might be using this time for you to check it out so that he can start a faith in you or increase that little bit of faith you might start having and to refine you. It means to change you, to make you into the, uh, the person he has designed you to be. Listen to what Jesus' younger brother, James, wrote in the book of James, a little bit later in our Bible. James chapter 1. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds. What in the world is he talking about? Pure joy? I mean, I can handle this, but... I'm not going to like it. He says, consider it pure joy 
when you encounter trials of many kinds because, because you know, you can be certain, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Allow perseverance to finish its work. So something's happening. It's, it's germinating so that you may be mature and complete and not lack anything. What is that anything? Well, maybe if, if you've had that happen before, you're like, hey, I got some peace. Everybody else has anxiety and fear, and I had that, but I have peace because I know that, that I've been through this before, and God has helped me to persevere, and he's increased my faith because I have a testimony where he's been faithful before, and he's going to see me through again. He's going to see my family through again. I know he will. That's huge. That's beneficial. So if God is doing that, what's my role? If I want to know why in the world this is happening, and I don't know what I can control, can't control, what's my role in all this? Jesus has the answer, and I hope you didn't miss it in those verses we looked over. Look what he says. Repent. He says it twice, verse 3 and verse 5. Repent. Repent so that you do not perish. Now, this is not a cool word today. Nobody goes around talking about repentance. We just don't do that. But Jesus did. And he did often. In fact, I love this. If you look, and this might be a little bit too heady for you, but follow me on this because this is going to hopefully be very impactful for you. In verse 3, when Jesus says, repent or you too will perish, the way that Greek verb is used, the word he uses there, has a nuance, okay, or a meaning of just repent this one time. So there's a specific sin that something you got to work on, repent of that. And re repent, the metanoia means basically to, to not only say I'm sorry, but to turn away from that. Say, I got to get away from looking at that. I got to get away from acting like that. I got to get away from thinking like that. So that one time. In verse five, a little bit later, he talks about repenting again. And check this out. The tense of the verb changes a little bit or the, the nuance of it. The, the verb actually points to a repeated, continual repentance. Like, you got to be doing this all the time. Now, with that one, I can relate. How many times do you say, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be patient? You mess up within, by 7.30. Today I'm going to think this way, and you mess up. Today I'm going to love my wife this way, and you mess up. But this is our life. It's continued repentance. In fact, you know, we're Lutherans here. If you're checking us out, you're like, why do you call yourself Lutherans? Well, there's a guy 500 years ago. His name was Martin Luther. And he was a Catholic monk. monk. He loved the Bible. He loved God's word. He loved Jesus. And he basically was reading the Bible. And he realized that the church that time was teaching some things that weren't really in the Bible. And so he had 95 different things he wanted to debate. They didn't have TV or distractions. He was serious, okay? 95 things. And in part of that, those, these 95, they call them theses or, theses or sentences, you know. So anyway, he, he hammered them on this door in a church in Wittenberg, Germany. And, I, and part of his intro to those 95, he said this. All of a Christian life is one of repentance. All of a Christian life is one of repentance. You know, that doesn't sound too exciting. But if you actually do that and you get the results, it's beautiful. It's freeing. It's the greatest gift God could give you. When I wake up and I have that shame from, what you call it, maybe a spiritual or an emotional hangover, you're like, oh man, I just really messed up yesterday. You start that life of repentance. 
Say, Lord, I am sorry for that. I need to go tell somebody I'm sorry. I want to move away from that. And Jesus, he's familiar with this. He, he's like, hey, I see this all the time. And I'm telling those people that back there, the Galileans, I'm telling you, it's time to repent. Next thing he said is it's produced fruit. Now, we didn't go over this part, but this is the parable that was right after it. And the parable is basically this. It's a teaching, a story that Jesus taught. And he says, hey, uh, there's this guy who owned a vineyard. He goes and tries to check for three years. There's no fruit coming off of this tree or these vines. So I'm going to cut them down. And the guy who's caring for this, this vineyard, he says, well, hold on a second. Let me put some fertilizer around it. Come back next year and see. And then if it doesn't, we'll cut it down. Give it another chance. This is the life God's calling you to. Think of how well God has taken care of you. If you are listening to us today, you are well taken care of. Most people in the world don't have the technology that you have. Most people in the world don't have the clothes that you have, the food that you have, the home, the, the, the safe place that you're listening from right now. God has so blessed you. It's a gratitude list. Just count the ways you won't be able to finish by sundown tonight the way God is blessing you. And God says, you know, I bless you for a reason. <laughs> Not just to soak it up like the Dead Sea, but to be like a, a lake or a river that actually goes somewhere. And so fruit is what God is looking for. When you say, why is this happening? I don't know, but God loves me. Help me to love other people through this. Look at the opportunities we have right now to love other people. And finally, the last one is trust. Repent, produce fruit, and trust. Why is this happening? We get to repent. Produce fruit and trust. Trust that God, the one who's in charge, even though I don't understand it, he has this. He has a great plan. He's going to bring us out of this. When I was little, I loved to fish with my dad. When I was about six, seven, we got it. For Christmas, my mom got my dad a new boat, a trailer, and a motor. Now, this was small. We, did, we were of um, humble means. We didn't have a lot of money, but she spent $1,000 and got the boat, the trailer, and the motor. And this was a four-horsepower motor. So if you're not into motors or boats, we weren't going too fast. But I was super excited. In fact, we, we'd go fishing in Illinois, these strip mines, with big, long, skinny, deep, lots of fish. And so we'd get on there, and zzz, all these other boats would just fly. Most all of them would pass us, right? So Dad saved up some money. Instead of getting a bigger motor, he got a trolling motor. And it's one of those little ones that real quiet and you go even slower. And I thought, well, what in the world? The trolling motor and the four horsepower are about the same. But I was a kid, I didn't understand, right? Well, one time we were out there and we were having a good old time. And, and, and all of a sudden, I'm fishing and I'm scared. I'm really scared of snakes. I was then. I don't know if I still am now. I don't like snakes. Anyway, the snakes started coming towards the boat. And I'm thinking as a little kid, like, we are not going anywhere. This motor is like, the snake is faster than the boat going with the motor. And my dad is telling me, he's like, don't fear, it's going to be okay. And I'm like, ah. And I know I'm embarrassing him because I'm making this big scene. There's other boats across the water. Uh, sound travels. You know, he's like, okay, just chill out, right? And finally, dad got me to calm down. The snake didn't get in the boat like I thought it was. We were fine. He got us out of there. Do you know that I was able to calm down because I trusted my dad? I didn't figure it out. I thought, how in the world are we going to get away with this motor from this Snake is going faster than our boat can go. But my peace or fear or anxiety or lack thereof of all was directly proportional to the trust I had in my dad. 
If I could just pause and trust that he has this, and I don't understand, but he was right in the end. He got me through it. I would have peace. The same thing goes for you during this pandemic. Why is this happening? We don't have the total answers. But we do know one thing, is that Jesus is on his throne, that he is in charge. And we may not understand it all, but we trust. We believe that we don't see what God is doing, but we, by faith, can understand that God is doing. Sometimes we do get to see it, but not all the time. So the better question is this. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I scared of that snake? Why am I feeling this way? It's a way for you to try to do a test on yourself and say, where is my faith? Where is the level of trust? Why am I feeling this way? And a lot will be revealed. Well, if you have more questions, make sure you send them in to connect at stjohnmansfield.org. You can text us as well. Uh, We'd love to just get those questions coming and answer as many as we can. We really enjoy uh, videoing those and then sending it out to you and, and wrestling with those.